been a while but uh we're back and today in honor of hollywood blockbuster season uh my friend ben and i we pitched some movie ideas and uh we'll give you some fun facts about mark Wahlberg. So on a run at some point tomorrow no honey there's three things you can do on patriots day one's watch the marathon the other one's run the marathon and the third one is get down to fenway and yell for those red socks yell for the red socks In 1985, a 15-year-old Mark Wahlberg and his fellow townie friends followed and chased a 12-year-old black kid and his siblings while yelling, I don't like black N-words in the area to get out of the area. The kids ran away as uh, Mark Wahlberg and his, and his friends chased on bike. During this chase, Mark and his friends chanted, kill the N-words, kill the N-words, while throwing rocks at them. The kids eventually got away. The next day they were on a field trip and Mark and his friends were there throwing rocks and yelling the n-word at the kids again. <clears throat> An ambulance was eventually called to the scene where two girls were hit with rocks. The next year, a Vietnamese man is exiting his car and he has two cases of beer. A 16-year-old Mark approaches him with a five-foot-long stick and calls him a Vietnam fucking shit. Then hit him in the head and knocked him out. He runs away and he runs up to another Vietnamese person. <clears throat> He's saying the police are after him and to help him hide. Once the cops pass, Mark punched this second Vietnamese person in the eye, which resulted in them being partially blind. Uh, Wahlberg was caught and arrested, and he was brought back to the scene. And he was quoted as saying, You don't have to let him identify me. I'll tell you now that's the motherfucker whose head I split open. And he kept yelling racial slurs about Asian people. Mark Wahlberg is a violent, racist piece of garbage who now profits off of Boston accents and local tragedies, as seen in The Departed in Patriot's Day, amongst other movies. He's presented as some type of hero or symbol of Boston, which honestly makes sense because the city is a racist city with a caveman brain. So Ben and I went to Long Island to deliver a bunch of expensive chandeliers to some lady, and Ben has a movie that he wants to pitch. Some rude lady. She had, the lady had a fedora on with pinstripes. And the babysitter held out in the tent. Yeah. We're, we're talking about you, if you're listening. Anyways, alright. So, imagine a movie that has everything. It's got hot, muscly, bisexual brothers. It's got... Gangs, gang wars, gang banging, prisons, basketball, other sports, everything you like about movies and more. It takes place in the 90s, whatever, here it goes. It's called Kings. And there's these two brothers and they're born in Los Angeles to a single dad. And this dad is poor, but he has a heart of gold. And he'll do anything to go from rags to riches. So follow this dad around the city doing all sorts of get-rich-quick schemes and it's kind of for the first 90 minutes like um, 
Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith, which is a super inspiring movie. And anyways, so they follow the dad around, and the dad's great. And he says to his young boys every time, you are my little princess. One day, you will be kings. My boys, you will be kings. And they look up to their dad. Now, one of the boys is the golden boy. He's so smart. He's the captain of the football team, captain of the basketball team. He's benched for hockey, but it's good because it teaches him some humility. And the other kid, he's a little dumbo, a little wise-ass piece of shit. And the dad gets so mad at him when he's young, he cracks him over the head with one of his x-ray machines he's trying to sell. And the kid gets a little slow or whatever. And because of the poor public school system there, you know, he falls between the cracks. He starts, you know, smoking whatever the fuck air dust or whatever he can find. And he's doing all sorts of bad shit burning books, skipping lunch, skipping meals, uh, it's all sorts of stuff that's going to screw you up later in life, you think you can do it when you're a kid, but later in the line, you know, you're fucked, and then, while well, the other brother, he's on the fast track to success, he's class president, um, girls love him, but he won't touch him because he's too focused on his studies, um, he's good at the internet, the other brother sucks at it, he's not good for at anything. Except, you know, jerking off. And then, so, this is where you, this is where it gets twisted. Because the good brother goes off to the best college in the Southwest, University of New Mexico. And he's on a full boat scholarship and he's going to be head of the football team and the basketball team at the same time. And they said, you can't do it. And he said, yes, I can. Watch me. And they do. When he meets this chick... And she's the definition of sex. She's got it all. She's rock and roll. She's got piercings. She's got a wild side. And it's kind of like the night of on HBO. She makes him smoke marijuana. And he's smoking marijuana on the football field where he just led his team to a major victory. When the night security guard goes by and shines his flashlight, sees him smoking the dope, calls 911 within minutes feel this flood of cops he's arrested thrown out of school thrown off the football team thrown off the basketball team thrown off the hockey team and tossed in the slammer for 10 years because the drug laws in New Mexico are so strict so now the golden boy brother is behind bars and the, the dumb brother kind of kind of hits him something finally breaks through his thick skull and he sees that he doesn't have to be this fuck up that he is and he can't let his dad down who wanted him to succeed and be kings he can't let him down so he gets a job making strombolis at the mall but he's fucking good at it and he he gets a, a, a wife at the mall she's worked some other job they kind of fall in love in the fruit court it's cute he pumps out like 12 kids and he loves them all so much and the brothers go their separate ways on paths very different from each other very different from the audience what we would have assumed at first. Ten years pass, and uh, the Golden Boy brother is in jail, but again, he's a success successful kid, and he's uh, scouted by this gang, this really, really bad, bad, bad gang called the LA Kings, and not only do they like slinging drugs, they like slinging balls in the court, and 
He's hot on the court, hot to trot, hot with the dope. And he's doped up, snorting it, shooting it, licking it. And he's got that ball bouncing around. And he whips all the other teams out of commission. He's killing it. So much that the owner of the New York Knicks, whose son happens to be in prison on a very different offense, sees him playing and wants to fly him out to New York Knicks um, basketball college on a full scholarship out of prison, this new program. And, you know, he doesn't want to be on the Knicks, but he accepts. And right when he's about to leave prison, he's got his bag packed and he hugged his prison friends. <laughs> and uh, the boss of the LA Kings says, I got one last job for you and you can't say no. I invented the hardest drug known to mankind and we're shipping up a th- uh, 10,000 kilograms of it and you're going to bring it to LA and we're going to get all the fucking kids addicted to this drug now. And you have to do it or we're going to kill you. And your brother. So, he's got no choice. He calls his brother who's got a car now because he saved money at the mall. He says, dude, you got to do me a solid. You're my brother. You're driving these drugs up brother comes, meets him, hugs him, shows him photos of his kids, shows him photos of their childhood, shows him photos of their dad selling the x-ray machines on the subway. And he has a change of heart, the, the brother in jail. And he sees that like he can't get all these little kids addicted to this new drug. And that the only choice he has is to kill everybody that's bad or whatever. So the other brother has a copy of the anarchist cookbook and cook up some bombs put in thousands of bombs mixed in with the drugs and drive it straight to the LA Kings headquarters blow it up <clears throat> and then they're, they're rolling out and it's about to be a huge gang war because they started this shit and the bad brother he's dying he's soaked in blood in the back seat of the car he's clutching it in his heart and the other brother's got his arm wrapped around him with his guts barely hanging in <laughs> he says I'm losing it man I'm losing it he goes hold on man hold on just one more minute he's like we did it you know we did it we came back kings we came back kings and at that minute he um shoots another bomb off or whatever the car blows up huge explosion rushes towards the screen and then in a really cool font that I haven't found yet <laughs> it says kings bold cut to black production credits roll and then the song by the weekend We started writing a movie that's based on true events. It's about two guys that got deliveries to make. It's called Special Delivery. And it's basically these two friends. They got wives or whatever, and they they want to start a family. But there's these two jobs left that will put them over the hump where they can retire and have money and live comfortably. Yeah, because they've made a boatload of money delivering exotic and very dangerous animals all over the world. But it's there's such a high mortality rate that they have to opt out if they want to be there to raise their kids. So these are their last jobs. So they so they're they're going off on a job and they realize like this is like a tough job, we might need some help. 
there's a heavy crate full of animals. Right. So so they're like, oh, let's go on Craigslist. Right. And, and we'll hire someone to help us for the day, whatever, a couple of guys. <laughs> so they, they hire two guys off Craigslist. They pick them up. And, you know, there's like a language barrier, but they're kind of figuring each other out on the trip. And it's kind of silly and fun. And we all have a couple laughs with the subtitles when that when they're making fun of them in a different language. Yeah, some miscues, <laughs> misunderstandings. So, and like it's like a cross country trip, and you know, like at one point they stop and there's like it's like a hot day, and they're like, oh, there's a lake. Like, they say like we should like take off our, our pants and go swimming in the lake. So they all get naked and they bring the elephant that they're delivering into the water too. And they're kind of playing with the elephant. And he's splashing his. Uh, yeah, it's on trunk. They're splashing each other. So having, yeah, they're having a good time. But so when they get out, though, they accidentally all switch pants by accident. Because they all wear the uniform. Really yeah, it's, it's like the delivery uniform. Anyway, so the two guys they hired accidentally take their pants, and they take the other guy's pants. So then they're driving, and their taillight goes out, and a cop pulls them over. And the cop says, can I see your IDs? And they're checking their pants. And uh, they don't have their IDs on. They have no forms of identification. Because no. they switch pants with the two other guys. The cops check the other guys' IDs. They see they have IDs. They're good to go. They're good to go. The two main characters are thrown in jail. They're taken away. And deported. They're deported. The, the two new guys, they got nothing else to do but finish the job. They have to finish the job, actually, because they signed a contract saying they would. Exactly. So Kind of like the Santa Claus. Yes. So, so they they go. They drop off the elephant or whatever. And then, what what are they supposed to do? Now they've overtaken someone else's identity. They have to go home. They have no choice but to do it. They look on their IDs. They see the address. They go home. They go home to their wives who who want to try for kids now. Yes, and they do. The wives don't even notice they're different people. Not at all. Because the wives, all they care about is the gift. <laughs> They probably take like, great gifts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so then they start talking about making a family, and it's a, it's a long weekend before the next delivery. It's a montage. They go water skiing. They make them a nice dinner. Yeah. They walk along the beach. It's like a great long weekend, and the wives are like, "Man, I really love our husbands." Yeah. So they just seem they seem different. They say, right? Yeah. They yeah. It's like a lot nicer. They've changed. <laughs> good yeah, so, but they still have this one more delivery. So they tell their wives, you know, we have to go on this one last delivery. And this one's really dangerous because it's these crazy gorillas. But we'll never have to work again. Oh, yeah, and also they had sex with the wives. And they're pregnant. And they, yeah, so. Very pregnant. <laughs> yeah, they're very pregnant. So, so they go away on this trip and um, they also, they, they hire their old friend. They knew we could for the job. I mean, he's kind of a big, tubby, comic relief guy. Yeah, and he likes to eat a lot of food. Big beard. He's always got Cheetos in his beard. Yeah. He's funny. They bring him along for the ride. So, he's in the back seat with this tropical uh, animal they're delivering. Yeah, a big gorilla. So, they get to the house, and the guy's still in the back, like in the back of this van. And they're like, you wait here. We're going to go inside and scope up the area. Make sure we know where we're going to put the uh, tropical gorilla for them. So, little do they know, the house is occupied by a band of kidnappers. Right, they go inside, and they are kidnapped. <clears throat> Not only are they kidnapped, they are 
they're locked in a basement for weeks. In two miles, take yeah, exit 68 NE4 I-91 North, yeah. Fort Connecticut 66 East, Hartford, out. Middletown. Yeah, so, yeah, so the SWAT team finds out, it becomes like a hostage thing, it's all over the news, right? Yeah, and like, so it becomes like a big story, and it's on the news, and like the hostage holders have like illicit demands, and it's back and forth, and meantime, like these two guys who are held hostage are like becoming like media darlings. The nation's falling in love with their character and wishing they could be free. It goes on and on. Eventually, they give in to the, to the terrorists, and they give them the government gives them what they want, and, and then tricks them, and then shoots them, and murders them in a violent bloodbath. Yeah. And our our, our heroes are freed, and they they come out, and there's it's a big celebratory thing. Yeah. The mayor's there to hug them. The parades like they're being planned, and then they're like it's amazing. And your van, it's still here. <laughs> and they go to the van. And open the door and what's inside? Well, first of all, the fat comic relief guy is really skinny and handsome now. And he still has a couple Cheetos left. And people can't believe what handsome is. And the whole crowd kind of swoons. And immediately people are captivated by his good looks. But he, he, when he was stuck in the van for so long, he just lost weight and became so handsome. Yeah. And then all of that, though, is kind of subdued quickly and the crowd was silent. Because the gorilla is dead. So people go to their phones, they start tweeting pictures of dead gorilla, and these two fuckers let die. They didn't even tell the hostage keepers that they had a, whatever, a gorilla in the back. So this huge Twitter storm erupts, and these two guys, who just a second ago were beloved figures in the community, are quickly reviled and disillusioned. Stand the sight of them. It was the last the, male tropical gorilla of its kind. The last, last one. They kill them. They're on the hook for it. So they're sent to jail. Yeah. Because they, 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 they say you, you murdered this animal. You left it in a hot car. Yeah. So they go to jail. As the credits are rolling, in a side, in a side screen, you see that this handsome guy is starting to become famous and be on magazines. Right. Right. You see that he's starting to appear in TV shows, and then it cuts to cuts to the wives at home who are crying because their husbands are going to jail. And you notice they're giving birth. You know what they hang on the fridge? Like, yeah, they could give birth. I was gonna say they're hanging a picture of their ultrasound on the fridge. Oh yeah, yeah. Shows us two little babies <laughs> inside of them, which leads us to the sequel. Yeah, possibility of sequels, possibly sequel trilogies. Yeah, we'll work on that later. So I got another idea for a movie and it's called Borat 2. In Borat 2, it's a buddy cop film with our lovable friend Borat and he teams up with Austin Powers to fight crime. They travel around the world uh, fighting bad guys and laughing and getting into hijinks. So the movie's really great and you love it. And then at the end, he says, okay guys, their boss says, Okay, guys, I have this mission where we have to go back in time and fight this bad guy, but the uh, time travel pod that I created can only fit one person. And Austin says, I'll do it. I'll go back in time. And he is sent to the 1970s to fight the bad guy. Who is Dr. Evil? This twist reveals that Borat 2 is actually a prequel for Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. 
Austin goes on to fight Dr. Evil in that one, in Austin Powers 2, Austin Powers 3, and then we make Austin Powers 4, where Austin is sent on a mission to Kazakhstan, and while there, he meets for the first time Borat, creating the never-ending infinite loop of Borat and Austin Powers. Sequels, prequels, uh, yes. So that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, please never forget that Mark Wahlberg is a violent, racist piece of shit who profits off of tragedy and Boston accents. See you later.